On September 12, 1995, McKay Everett disappeared from his home in Conroe, Texas. There was no sign of forced entry. It was just as if McKay had walked out of his own free will. And to this day, McKay's mother, Paulette, feels that justice was never truly served. Ransom is available now. Listen at ransompodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I think from the beginning, we always felt that there was a third or even a fourth person involved because we never felt that Whitley and Dylan would be able to handle Christian by themselves. And it wasn't until probably year two or between two or three that we began really having a lot of suspicions of a particular person or particular people. Their names kept coming up. And I think the biggest twist in this story came when Cynthia, our attorney, was talking to a witness about some information that he had given us and she was following up on. And in the course of talking to him about that information, a whole nother avenue opened up and um, it kind of was the starting point of us realizing maybe Bilbo's motivation and the reasons for the case being stalled. So I think it, over the years, we became very um, frustrated with the situation that we kept gathering all this information, but no one ever would do anything with it. And now we have the DA, um, Cassie Coleman, who frequently states, well, you know, if you have new information, bring it to me and we'll consider reopening the case. But so much of this information is really not new because we've had it for maybe two years, some of it three years. But to them, it would be new because it doesn't show up in their file. They've never spoke to these people. And it's just a very difficult situation to be in because we feel like it's kind of a no-win situation. In this episode, you're going to hear two different, but in a way, very similar accounts that manage to thicken the plot even more. Because these accounts bring into play two new persons of interest. Now I'll warn you ahead of time that what's presented in this episode is going to sound somewhat cryptic. For now, I'm sorry to say this, but we will be beeping out the names of the persons of interest. So that's one thing. And as for the people who are sharing their accounts which implicate these persons, they have both asked to remain anonymous. Law enforcement knows the names of these people who came forward with this information, as well as the names of the persons of interest, and that's what matters the most. So I ask that you just keep an open mind and try as best you can to follow along, because I believe what we're sharing here 
is very, very important. With that said, the first account I'd like to share comes from a friend of Ray's, who we'll call Mary. She came forward with some information shortly after Christian's death. Mary was asked a favor. We all know Ray was suspicious of Whitley and concerned about Christian's safety. It's natural for a parent to want to know their child is safe. But in this case, in order for Ray to feel that sense of security, she decided to make a pretty abnormal request. She asked Mary to keep an eye on the apartment, specifically when Christian was away on his hitch. And whenever she could make the time, that's what Mary would do. She'd drive to the apartment, park, and sit from time to time. I want to point out that when Ray first shared this with me, I was taken aback. She buffered it, saying, this is going to make me sound crazy, which immediately placed me in that group of people making assumptions about her. But as many times before, I was reminded, Ray is not crazy. She's smart. She has intuition. Like I said, it was a totally abnormal request. I'm not going to act like it wasn't. But it's certainly not one she regrets. Because the day Christian died, he was supposed to be away on his hitch. Which meant Mary was right where she was supposed to be. At the apartment. Here's her story. Christian was like my other child. Um, In his outside, I was his black mom. He could come talk to me when he couldn't talk to his mom. Ray had suspected that something was going on with Whitley. At that time, Whitley was wide open. What she did, it was no secret. Uh, You know, when Christian left, that was, the apartment was the meeting place for the party, whatever. So she asked me, she said, would you do me a favor? And she said, when Christian leave, will you go sit at the apartment? That was originally what started it. But this particular day, Wednesday the 26th, I said, well, I'm going to go make my run. She said, no, don't worry about it. She said, I got somebody else that's that's able to sit out there. Uh, Never went. Said he couldn't get in the gate. And I said, what gate? Because it's not a gate. You could just ride up. But he thought he was talking about a house. So that's where he went, was to the house. So at that point, nobody was there watching the apartment. So two things occur here. First, something very unfortunate. An investigator who Ray had just recently hired was supposed to go to the apartment that day. But in a misunderstanding, he went to their home in Dalewood instead and got caught up at the gate there. Ray would go on to tell him to just not worry about going to the apartment that day. But fortunately, Mary still went by there that day. She had decided, since she was running out for her lunch break anyways, that she'd swing by the apartment, which was nearby. Here's more from her. That Wednesday, I went to lunch, like 12.30, like... By the time I went and got lunch and rode through there, about 1.15, 1.30, something like that, that's when the two guys I seen come out, one with the hat down. The other one, you know, I actually seen him get in that big truck. It was a black, like a, what they call them, X4 or 4x4, four four, one of them big trucks. 
It was black and it had a grill around the front. Any other details on it that stuck out? Any stickers or you see the license plate or? No, I, I mean, cause I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't really looking, just riding through and not knowing that later that this would, uh, and I didn't find out till later that Ray was, she was looking at some stuff that I guess somebody had put on Facebook or whatever. And uh, I said, that's that guy, that's, and she said, what guy? I said, that's the guy that was coming out the apartment. But I thought it was Dylan. She said, no, that ain't none of Dylan. I said, well, that's the guy, right? And she said, oh, you sure? I said, yeah. And so at this point, she was like, why hadn't you? I said, well, Ray, I ain't, you know, all of them look the same or whatever. I said, but I just assumed that that was Dylan them. And so she said, no, she said, that's not none of Dylan. But the truck, when, when Ray was showing the picture, had the picture up, the truck, the man was standing by it. And I said, that's the truck right there. And she said, you sure? I said, yeah. That truck there, that's the man that got in the truck on the driver's side. And that's when she told me that was And I said, okay, well, that's him. She said, well, who is I said, now, Ray, I ain't see the other, you know, he had a hat down and everything. I'm going to pull up some pictures here. So can you confirm, is this who you saw coming out of the apartment that day? Mm-hmm. And so you know the one was, you don't know who the second. Like I said, I couldn't see because he had a hat had the hat on it was head you know bowed down so don't know exactly who it was uh, I feel in my heart that if if she would have let me win he'll still been here because I would have seen that he was gone but he had came back and I could have told him right he's here in town I still think about it, even though it's been that long. Cause sometimes she wouldn't have to tell me. Just a moment instant, I would go out there and sit and just watch. Oh. So it 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 bothered me. Oh, it hurts that if if she would have let me go, that. Not saying it wouldn't have, it would have stopped, but at least they would have known he was back in time. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. 
Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale, it's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Just to clarify, when Mary first told Ray about all of this, shortly after Christian's death, she explained to her that she saw two men exit the apartment in the afternoon that day. She was unable to give a description for one of the men, other than he was wearing a hat. But the second one, she did get a good look at, and she assumed that that man was Dylan. She'd seen him one other time before, so she was somewhat familiar with his appearance. But then, roughly a year later, a picture would lead her to believe that it was actually someone else she saw that day. Mary walked into Ray's office one day, and Ray had a man's Facebook page up on her screen, which Mary happened to see. Immediately upon seeing it, she reacted, saying, there's Dylan. But it wasn't Dylan's Facebook page that Ray had pulled up. It was someone else she had been suspicious of. And when Ray clarified who the person was, Mary was adamant that it was the same man she saw at the apartment on the 26th. Ray would sit with this information for a couple years, wondering if someone else would come forward corroborating this account. And then finally, someone did. This brings me to the second account I'd like to share, which came from a man who worked with Hayes Mitchell at Magnolia Marine, the same company Christian worked for. We'll call him Kelly, which comes from the name of the boat he and Hayes worked on. Now, interestingly, Kelly had initially come forward very early on with a tip. He told the Andriacchios that he believed Christian's Jeep had been moved in the Magnolia Marine parking lot after Christian boarded his final hitch. We mentioned this theory about the Jeep being moved back in episode three. But then, years later, in 2017, he spoke with the Andriacchio's attorney, Cynthia Speechens, about this. But he also offered up some new information that came from an interaction he had with Hayes while they were working together on the boat. Here's what he had to say. I knew him from out here at, at, at Dalewood. And my dad was good with his uncle and his dad and his grandpa and all that. So I guess that kind of started a long time ago, but we, didn't, we never really was like close, close, like talking and hanging out a whole lot every day. Christian, he was wanting to get out and get him a good job. I was like, well, yeah, I tried to help you get on out there. Well, he got hired and <laughs> man did real good out there. He was moving up very quick. He had a long career ahead of him out there. 
Hey, he was very impressive. The, the way he picked up on it and was just a dedicated worker. I mean, everybody on that boat, they loved him for sure. Did, did you all ever work on the same boat together? No, we we didn't. Not on the same boat at the same time. But we okay. seen each other. Like, we might be out at the fleet or something like that, everybody working on the barges together, the same dock, stuff like that. If you were one of the people that noticed that the Jeep had been moved, is that correct? Yeah, because we pretty much, they weren't assigned parking spots. But we always called the same parking spot because it was the best one with the only camera. So it turned out that the cameras weren't Didn't working? Weren't even working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he had a regular spot there. Yeah. We were always in the same spots, just about, and or the same vicinity right there. And that day when I found out, of course, I talked to the office and some folks on the boat, and I told them I needed to come back. So I did. I left up there and drove back in the rental car. And, uh, of course, the Jeep wasn't in the same spot. And it was just something to think about. And then when I backed up, there it was at the other end. Like, hmm, odd. I'd never seen it. There would no, be no reason for him to park down there by that fence. That was just, that was just one thing that wasn't, just didn't make sense. Especially after what I heard from Hayes Mitchell out there on the, on the boat we worked on. He kind of just started running his mouth because he didn't know I knew Christian. It was the day of crew change. He was just showing up to the boat. He showed up probably midday or so. We were on the motor vessel, Kelly Lee. That was the boat we worked on. And we were standing in the deck locker. And Hayes, of course you know, had a drug addiction. He was messed up when he showed up to the boat that day. He had said he had been drinking. But we were on the towboat in the deck locker. And it was evening time, right when I was waking up from my evening shift. He started talking about the the incident with, with Christian. And he started talking about Christian being murdered. He said that uh, it just wasn't supposed to happen that way. I was like, what do you mean? And I just kind of listened. Just sat there on the freezer of the deck locker and just let him go. He told him basically that him and was talking about it. And- so it wasn't supposed to go down like that. And when he said that, I just started staring at him. He said, where are you from? I was like, Deadwood. And I, he kind of put two and two together that I knew Christian and he wouldn't really talk to me much anymore. That's what I got from him. Okay. He, just, he said, was there and it wasn't supposed to happen like that. Whatever that means, I don't know. I don't know if he was talking out of his head or if it was actual fact true, but he needed to be talked to about it. And he shut down. I don't know if they had an issue with Christian or if Dylan and Whitley had them up to something. Don't know. Hayes didn't get that much into it. But he just said their name and they were there and it wasn't supposed to happen like that. And that's when he took, put the two and two together that I knew Christian. And I was, because I was just stared at him. I wasn't saying nothing to him. I just let him talk. They knew he had talked to, he had said something wrong. They're like he had a guilty about it. So 
you wouldn't be talking about it if you didn't. I mean, that's kind of a hard thing to make up and try to just shoot a story to a, a stranger. I mean, we kind of we talked at work and we guess knew the same people from around Meridian, but why in the world would you come with that kind of context and throw that out there? It's like, hold on, man, that's a big, big thing. Yeah, it just didn't make sense that he would do that, and then he would lock up too, just like everybody else. And it wasn't long after that that he didn't work with us anymore. He didn't even make it like a couple of days, and he was fired. Once again, we were on the boat. He got off saying he had like kidney stones or something. We were in Chicago. He got off the boat saying he needed to go to uh, emergency room, and so he went. Somehow he just didn't come back for like two or three days and he ended up getting jumped and beat up and something like that and he had to go home and then he just didn't work at Magnolia anymore. I don't know if he quit or got fired or what it was. And the office did something with him on that and I never spoke to him again. He wouldn't answer calls, texts, nothing like that. I think it was earlier this year, last year, he, uh, he had overdose and he passed away and it, it's sad, but... The boy, had, he had a lot going for him if he would ever just get off the stuff. It just ate him up. And he had a very nice family and stuff like that. I don't know. He just got the best of him. I don't know if he did it or not, but that's what he said. Now, at the time, this information should have come as a shock to Ray. But the reality was... This information only helped her to finally make sense of what Mary had told her years ago. She now had a second story, which again implicated two men. And not only that, but one of them was the exact same man that Mary had identified years prior. This was a game changer. Because there were now two persons of interest to consider, in addition to Whitley and Dylan. And along with that, a new possibility to consider, which was that more people could have played a role in this. Of course, Ray would go on to tell Bilbo this information. And according to Ray, Bilbo would acknowledge that he was made aware and was looking into it. But as time passed, that didn't seem to be the case. And then months later, another tragedy happened in Meridian, when Hayes died from an apparent overdose. And in his death, any chance of ever hearing his side vanished. As Kelly stated, what Hayes said to him was alarming, and that it's not really something you just fabricate and throw out there. He wasn't implicating that these men committed some petty crime, or even that they had information about this crime. He was implicating that these men may have been involved in a murder. That's a big claim. Kelly was never able to make sense of why Hayes said what he did. He tried several times to follow up with him, but Hayes never answered his calls. Ray thinks that the information Hayes was holding on to was eating at him, and believes it's unlikely that Kelly would have been the only person he would have talked to. And maybe that will prove to be true. We'll see. But in the meantime, the question is how do you even make sense of all this? If all this information is true, that changes a lot of things and adds more questions to this growing list. Mainly, why would anyone else have been there? What would be anyone else's motive to hurt Christian? And what do they mean when they say it wasn't supposed to go down like that? I asked Ray to share what she thinks about all of this. Well, like we've talked about, I, I think that there's something bigger at play. Um, what that is, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, obviously, I think drugs are involved in some way, shape, or form. 
I myself personally think that to some degree it was planned and that they wanted a Christian home. They needed money. They owed people money. I think they probably thought Christian had more money than he probably did, like in the bank or wherever. I think they intentionally lured him home. Quite frankly, I think that they went to Vicksburg and got Christian's gun out of his Jeep where he kept it. And Christian probably walked in there never thinking in a million years that his gun would be there. I think when they say things went terribly wrong, I think they probably meant to rob him and for some reason thought that Christian would just hand over some money and Christian being Christian would have fought them. He wouldn't have just given him his money because in his mind, he could beat them all. He wasn't scared of anybody. And there's a consistent pattern of drugs. Every single one of them have a history of a significant drug problem, either currently or in the recent past. Again, I just think that something went terribly wrong. And then two years later, all of a sudden, you know, Hayes tells somebody he's working with on the boat that and was at the apartment and killed Christian. Basically what he said was, to kind of give a little bit more clarity to that statement, is that they, you know, were just kind of shooting the breeze on the boat and Hayes starts saying how he knows all this stuff about what happened to Christian. And when the person who made the statement made him aware that he was from Meridian too and knew Christian, then all of a sudden Hayes, you know, kind of shut down and was like, well, uh, uh, you know, never mind. Then he said that he didn't put that in the statement, but he told us that. He said, you know, you, have you told your dad this? And he said, yes, I'm gonna make it right. And, but nobody's ever talked to that person. That's what I think happened. Now, I may be totally off, but that's just from what everything, all the information that we're getting from different, we're trying to piece together, that appears to be a consistent, um, you know, we know that was at the apartment. We know that he had somebody with him. But now, but now nobody will listen to you. As you know, this is a case that has spanned over five years now. In that five years, there has been countless suspects who have gone either questioned or unquestioned, countless pieces of evidence, multiple investigations stemming from different agencies, changes in public officials, arrest warrants, forensic specialists, interview after interview, statement after statement, and much more. And that's all before we ever even got involved in 2018. I've done my best to lay everything out in a way so that you can follow along, and I'm sure I haven't done that perfectly. Because at the end of the day, simply put, this case is a total cluster. I recognize that early on, from the immense amount of content there was surrounding it. And it obviously didn't help in any way that Christian's case was never handled properly from the beginning. I also recognize that there are still tons and tons of questions that we don't have answers for. But tips have been coming in and many have been willing to speak on and off the record. It's my understanding that many are fearful to come forward for whatever the reason may be. And I respect that and you can remain anonymous. 
but I ask if you know any information related to the death of Christian Andriacchio, please come forward. Reach out to us. It's not too late to do the right thing. We're continuing to learn of new information, and there's still a lot more to share with you. In our upcoming episode, I'd like to discuss some more recent events, which stemmed from what is still an active investigation on our end. I myself am by no means a professional in that field, but I do know someone who is. And a while back, I reached out to her for some help. Hey, Sheila. Hey, Dennis. Good to hear from you. I've been working on a story recently, and I want to tell you about this, but I was curious if you would be willing to just take some time to look over this case that I'm working on in Mississippi. I just think you could be a really big help in this. You know I'll help you guys out, but if you can send over the documents, I'll be able to review a Awesome. Thank you so much, Sheila. The family have pretty much kept this case alive on their own doing uh, over the last few years, and they shared everything with us, and we're making a story of it. We're hoping to keep an investigation alive as well. As why I'm reaching out to you, I know you probably don't have the time, but I told the mother, Ray, that maybe I could convince you to take some time at least to get on a call with her at some point. I'll look at it, you know, because I'm curious and because you guys have asked me. And if I can help a victim's family, you know I will. Culpable is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13, written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper. Executive producers are Jacob Bozarth, Mark Mennery, Dennis Cooper, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Additional production by Whitney Bozarth, Courtney Cooper, Meredith Stedman, and Mason Lindsay. Audio editing and sound design by Resonate Recordings. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at resonaterecordings.com. Our theme music and score is by Dirtcore Robbins, cover art by Drew Bardana. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcast. Show notes as well as bonus content can be found on our website, culpablepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening. Thank you.